Hey, my name is Domingo Serrano. I'm the youth director at Genesis Church, and I'm super excited uh, right now because uh, what this is going to be, week one, I mean, we're going to find out what it really looks like in the coming weeks, but we're, this is going to be the fourth quarter podcast that I'm blessed to be here with, with the one and only Roger Blackmore. Uh, so without further ado, let me give it away to you, Raj. Hey, thanks. Yeah, so I'm Roger Blackmore, and I'm the... <clears throat> I'm the throat-clearing lead pastor at Genesis Church here on uh, Long Island in New York. Now, do we really need another podcast, you may ask? And I say, that's a good question. I remember a number of years ago, I read a book by Seth Godin called The Purple Cow. And uh, you may well have read it, but the basic premise is this. He says, if you're driving in the countryside in an area where there are a lot of cows, When you see the first cow, you might remark, wow, there's a cow. And then you see some more and say, oh, there's some more cows over here. But after a little while, you're just driving in the country and you don't pay any attention to the cattle in the fields. And if you were to, it would be because there was a cow now that stood out. And that's the premise of purple cow. Like in a world of plenty of cows, you've got to stand out. Now, I read that from a church planter's perspective that if you're going to be planting a church, there needs to be something purple about your church, not just another church. Heck, on Long Island, where we get the best pizza in the world, there are fantastic pizzerias all over the place. If you're going to open another pizzeria, you know what? There's got to be something purple about your pizza. And you realize I'm not talking about the color, right? (laughs) So another podcast. So what's purple about your podcast, Rod, you may ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'll answer it for you. And I'll answer it for you this way. There are probably three things that are different about my podcast or three things that brought me to this. One really is um, May of last year, 2019, I had a major heart attack and had triple bypass surgery. And it took me quite a while to recover actually from it. And to be got honest... Um, I really appreciate life more now perhaps than I did before. And to me, every day I've got is special. And going on from that then, let me say the next thing. This year I will hit my 70th birthday. And a month later I will celebrate the milestone of pastoring for 50 years. Yeah, I started when I was young. So the fact is, after 70 years of life, 50 years of pastoring, I'm wanting to really make the use out of every day God gives me. I've come to think maybe there are a few things that I've learned that are worth sharing. <laughs> and so that's the reason for the fourth quarter podcast. I've actually started reading a, writing a book mm. and um, some of the material from that book I'm going to be sharing during the course of these podcasts over the next few weeks and um, essentially just passing on lessons that I've learned uh, thus far in my life. Sitting here at my desk in sunny New York, having finally capitulated to the suggestions of quite a few well-meaning and probably over-kind friends 
I'm starting to write my first book as I approach the ripe old age of 70. And since I have no immediate plans to vacate the small amount of real estate I occupy on this planet, there's always the chance that should anyone show the vaguest interest in this volume, others could follow. There's time. In fact, according to recent statistics released by the UN, the average life expectancy for men in the United States is 76.5 years. So there's plenty of time. Of course, I must say it irks me no end that apparently there are some people who have a whole lot longer on this planet than the average American does. Seems the guys who can expect the longest time this side of the grave actually live on the island of Hong Kong, where they gleefully anticipate a whopping 80.9 years of bliss. Now, conversely, the place to avoid at all costs is the tiny nation of Swaziland that borders South Africa and has a population of just over one million, which is apparently decreasing by the second. As that same UN report carries the depressing news, the average man in Swaziland can expect to live a mere 49.7 years. One final piece of trivia before we settle down to business. As a Brit living in the USA, I found it fascinating that in the UK, a man can expect to live two years longer than his counterpart on these shores. 78.5 years compared to 76.5. Actually, I had mixed feelings when I first read that because I thought moving from the UK in 1991, I gave up two years of my life. Yeah, I wasn't too thrilled about that. And, and then I started thinking, and it didn't take a lot of mental acrobatics to work this out. There's a very simple solution. I stay in the United States till I am 76 years and five months old. Then I go to JFK, get on a BA flight to dear old London. And then I spend another two years that I can get in my extended life back in the old country. Of course, the only slight problem with that is none of us knows when God's going to call us. So none of us has got any guarantee about life. So all that having been said, here's the truth. Looking at my life, the fact is, if my life was a football game, it would be in its fourth quarter. In fact, let's face it, it's probably late in the fourth quarter right now. We could be in overtime, but let's not go there. And that's why I'm talking about lessons that I've learned from late in the fourth quarter, looking back over those years and see what I've learned from them. So, I'm in a position now where if this is the fourth quarter of my life, you know, when you get to the end of the fourth quarter, at the end of the fourth quarter, teams are doing a couple of things. Some have given up. Some are coasting. And others feel by now they've really got the opposition's number and they're pushing it with everything they've got to get the win. So let me just tell you this by way of a little more personal introduction. Uh, I'm not giving up. I'm not coasting, but I do think that with everything I've learned to this point in the game, I'm in a real good position for some significant victory still as I move forward in life. So I hope some of the wisdom I've gained in 70 years of life and, hey, 50 years of marriage and 50 years of pastoring will perhaps encourage you and guide you and 
maybe even save you from making some of the mistakes that I made along the way. So let's start here. A guy by the name of Craig Lounsborough said this once. He says, it's not so much about where you're at, but where we want to go from where we're at. And I'm going to tell you this, it's been quite a journey from starting pastoring one month after my 20th birthday to where I am now. People sometimes ask me if it was hard being a pastor when I was 20 years old, and I say, no, it was dead easy because I knew everything. It's only hard now that I finally come to realize how little I actually know. But joking aside, it was tough pastoring so young. And there were a lot of factors that played into that. I grew up in the historic city of Exeter, a small city steeped in tradition, set in the middle of the breathtaking countryside of Devonshire, southwest of England. And I still have memories of idyllic childhood days in the southwest, spent on the beaches of nearby Exmouth and Dawlish Warren. It was a great place to spend those years. But I had little idea what the rest of the British Isles was like. So it was a huge culture shock to be catapulted into ministry in the northeast of England in a depressed coal mining community where the pits were closing and unemployment was running at over 40%. That was the town of Burtley in County Durham in 1970. I might just as well have gone to another country because it was all so different from everything I'd ever known. I was totally disoriented. And the fact they had a strange accent and a vocabulary all of their own added to my lost feeling. It was tough. I love a statement by Mandy Hale. She said, just be yourself. Let people see the real, imperfect, flawed, quirky, weird, beautiful, magical person that you are. I love that. It's great. But I wasn't ready to do that straight out of Bible college. Starting my first appointment in what I hoped would be a lifetime doing what I was feeling I was called to do. I wasn't ready to just be myself. I was the pastor. I needed to be the pastor, the insecure, self-doubting pastor. Desperate for the approval of those that I was serving. But nonetheless, the pastor. So at times I did my best to look and to sound like I thought a pastor should. I played the part. Those early years were a struggle because I wasn't ready to be me. I didn't feel that I could be or should be. I lived looking for acceptance in the role that I had taken on, seldom feeling adequate for the task at hand. That was tough. And starting out in ministry was really when I started out in married life too. Jill and I had met in Kenley Bible College and we'd married in December of 1969. I still had six months to go before graduation, so Jill actually lived with my parents while I returned to my studies. And our move to Berkeley was the beginning of our living together in a home of our own. Hey, to tell you the truth, when I look back on it now, I really like the way ancient Israel approached this kind of thing. You, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, here's what God said. He said, if a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war 
or have any other duty laid on him. Listen to this. You'll love this. For one year, he is free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Mm. Isn't that terrific? Mm. Let me know how that works out for you. Of course, it didn't work out that way for us. <laughs> With a couple of suitcases and a very small removal van following us a few days later, we set out from Exeter St. David Station on the train journey north. It was Saturday, July the 25th, 1970. And the next morning, I would conduct my very first service. We were about to begin two big adventures to face two major readjustments, starting married life proper at the same time that I started pastoring in a totally different culture to any either of us had ever known. That was tough. And then there was the fact we were broke. I think the biggest Sunday attendance we ever had in the Berkeley Church was 36. And in a situation where the local congregation is totally responsible for its own overheads, there wasn't a lot left to pay the pastor when all the other bills had been covered. The meager salary was offered did nothing to alter the fact that the pastor was expected to do his job in a full-time capacity without looking for any other source of income. Thank God Jill had a job, but it was the only way we survived. And even then, there were moments when it wasn't easy. I remember our first Christmas when we bought a tree and then realized we didn't have enough money for lights. It looked pretty sad, standing there in our living room with old decorations that I'd been given by my mother and precious little else. Every Friday there was a street market in the nearby town of Chesterley Street. And the one purchase that made that Christmas our own was two small reindeer figures covered in glitter that we brought from a market stall and proudly placed either side of the clock above the fireplace. Life's different now. And though years have taken a toll on them, and most of their glitter is long since gone, those reindeer still have pride of place every year when the decorations come out. They remind us that in those early days, things were a lot more challenging than they are now. And they help us to appreciate the positive changes we've seen. But living through those years was tough. So here we are today, and suddenly I'm no longer the rookie pastor. Seemingly all at once, I'm looking back over half a century of pastoring. It's been a heck of a journey, bringing me great joy and calling me to navigate heartbreaking times too. Those 50 years have taken me from Exeter to Berkeley, County Durham, from there to Sheffield in Yorkshire, up to Inverallachie in Scotland, and then across the Atlantic to life and ministry on Long Island, New York. So I've been encouraged time and again to pass on some of the principles that I've learned in those 50 years of being deeply involved in helping people find and develop faith. And so that's what I'm really doing now and with the book that I'm writing and with the podcast that I'm sharing. Interesting as my life has been, Lessons from Late in the Fourth Quarter is not intended to be totally autobiographical, despite being full of stories of experience that has shaped both me and my path. It's an unfolding of some of the significant truths I've learned on this pilgrimage towards what the Bible calls 
a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I hope you'll listen in again as I share one by one the lessons that I really think have been most valuable as I play this game. Welcome back. Uh, so you just came off of, uh, right, what do we call it, Roger? Intro chapter one of... Intro chapter one, <laughs> um, I don't know, the start. <laughs> there we go, the start. Uh, so this last part of the podcast is going to be somewhat of an appendix, but really uh, a couple more rehash where Roger can uh, explain a little more, maybe a story or something like that, connect to some questions that just pop out in my head, uh, and we'll see how this goes. Uh, so, Roger, first question. Um a lot of those interesting facts about, and you made a joke about moving back to England in order to increase the length of your life. Um, you wrote that, obviously, before this past year's uh, the heart attack and everything crazy with that. Uh, does it hit you any differently, like, you know, talking about that, saying that now from when you originally wrote it, the place, a couple years ago? Yeah, I think, yeah, I did start, I started writing, before, like you said, before the heart attack, and, yeah. and that kind of messed up life for, for months and months. Mm. <clears throat> I, th I think on reflection, you know, one of the things that really has hit me um, just in the last couple of months is, um, see, sorry, let's go back to this. I'm, I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> I'm a kid from the poorest section yeah. of a small city in the southwest of England, and, and that's me. Mm. Um, so... I don't think anything special about myself and almost in the place of, well, what do I really have to say? Mm. Um, and I think what the health challenges of, of last year and so have, have really kind of given me is a sense of urgency. Mm. Um, you know, I'm planning to be here like I'm going to live till I'm 100 or die trying, <laughs> right? So Amen. that's what I'm going to do. But the fact is, you know, in the time that I've got, yeah. You know, is there stuff that could be helped to somebody else? Mm. And you know, there probably is. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think as I'm writing and researching, I'm, I'm I'm coming upon some things that you know I think might be to me they're just run of the mill. To somebody, they might be a game changer or yeah, a, yeah. you know or, or or a gem. I don't know. No, absolutely. So no, I I think what what the health challenges have done is made me realize yeah. I need to maximize the time God gives me. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. Um. So I'm going to try to kind of combine these two questions. But you talked about being a young pastor, obviously, at 20, right? Did I 20, right? one right. month after my 20th birthday. One month after your 20th birthday. Um, and you also talked about uh, being younger and being a bit more insecure in your position and who you are, the feeling of being the pastor and how that carried upon you. If you had someone carrying that load right now, you could feel it, you could see the way they act, a feeling like being, quote, unquote, the pastor. What would you now, what would you say to that person? I think what I do, I, th I think my... You know, my position when I was starting out, yeah. um, I didn't know how to be a pastor, so I just did what I'd seen pastors do for years. Yeah. And then, but but then I wondered, do people really accept me as the pastor? Respect me as the pastor? Mm. And um, what I did for years in ministry, and and I can tell you, it was the first six or seven years, was really I did what David did or didn't do, mm. when King Saul said to him, if you're going to go fight the giant, here's my armor. Mm. And, and, and David, you know, 
he put his armor on David and David said, I can't do this stuff. You know, I, I work with slings. Um, I, and it was, he had to be himself. Yeah. And, and really I would encourage, you know, young guys, number one, you know, don't dream of being a senior pastor when you're 20 years of age. I mean, you know, that was my pathway. <laughs> yeah. That was God opened up that for me, but, yeah, but don't well, do it. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. You know, um, Basically, you know, uh, <laughs> give it time mm. for one thing. And I think you know, a lot of the insecurity came because I was 20 years of age. Yeah. There probably aren't many churches nowadays that are desperate enough. And that dear church was desperate for a pastor. Yeah. That's the only reason they took me. Um, but, but, but really, once you get in any position yeah. of responsibility and leadership, you know, God made you you. And yeah. you must be brave enough to be you. And your success will come out of being you, mm. not being the person you think you should be. Dang, that's good. All right, good. That's, yeah, fantastic. And I love how you use the David example of putting on the armor. That's, yeah, Rod, you got a couple of things up there. That was good. <laughs> All right. So last but not, not least, we might throw a couple more here. But first, uh, simply, how do you stay married Doing ministry is such a personal thing for for fifty years. It demands so much of you. How do you, how do you do it, Raj? I, I think I think the thing, <laughs> as I as I said earlier, that Jill and I met in Bible college. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we were both students in a very small denominational Bible school, yeah. which wasn't really a theological academy. Mm -hmm. um, it was it, its its sole purpose was to prepare people for ministry. Um, so Jill was there because she felt she wanted to serve God in a, in a very committed way. Mm. Wasn't quite sure what that would be. Um, and then we met and started dating. Mm. Um, so what I'd say is we were well matched to start with because mm. um, we were both going in the right direction. Amen. Okay? I think there's something about that in the Bible, about <laughs> Two people can't walk together so. unless they're agreed to mm. quote the dear old King James. But but it's that, you know, we were both going the same path. She yeah. wanted to serve God. I wanted to serve God. Yeah. Now, let me marry this with the last question you asked me mm. about being yourself. One of the one of the things that became a, a, a little troubling mm. after we'd been dating for months, I think we were engaged at the time, was one night we're out walking and she said, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. Um, that kind of messed things up um, yeah. because I was I was kind of you know preparing training to become a pastor and I said to her that night you don't have to be a pastor's wife mm. I want you to be my wife mm. so good yeah and, and I think one of the things that's helped us is is that it wasn't you know yeah. I'm not from the school I'm not having to go at anybody but I probably am I'm not from the school that says because you're married to a pastor, you're a pastor too. Mm. So we're not pastors, Roger and Jill. Yeah. Right? I'm the pastor. Yeah. Right? Pastoring is not her gift. She's got a ton of other gifts. Amen. But pastoring's not her gift. Yeah. So you know what? I think the main thing that's kept us, you know, you know, because ministry has had its very challenging sides. Yeah. Um, a lot of sacrifice involved on a personal level at times as well. But I think because we we both started out, we were going in the yeah. same direction. We want to use our lives to serve God. Mm. You know, it, it was Jill who introduced me to the quote from James Elliott, the Ecuador martyr, where, where he said, he is no fool who, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. And, and she introduced me to that quote. I'd never wow. seen it before. But she, that was something that was real to her. Yeah. 
and and you know what? So so we're 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 on the same wavelength. Beautiful. And she's very loving, forgiving, and caring, mm -hmm. and tolerant, and patient, and and that's kept us married for fifty years too. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Jill's the bomb. If you don't know Jill, you want to know Jill. She's incredible. Um, so Roger, um, this is week one of I think, and I'm excited for many more weeks of this. Any closing remarks, comments, anything you want to say to our listeners uh, before we go? Cool. I, I just want to say, you know, um, if anything I know or anything I've learned is can help you, can bless you, can guide you. Or if you just like listening to stories that old men tell, hey, um, check in with us and keep up to date with us and subscribe to the podcast. And uh, I'll be talking again real soon. Awesome.